Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot. Oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I am your host, Patricia Baker, and it's almost October, oh my God, September 27th. PK, you're going to help us usher in October? What's going on with the numbers? Oh, it's going to be fun. The thing I want everybody to do, if they want to know what their personal year is going to be as of next month, and that is the start of our whole new nine-year nine-month cycle, nine-year cycle situation. If you will add your month and day of birth together and reduce it to a single digit, and to that you can add the universal eight of which 2024 will be. That will tell you what your personal year is going to be. So, for those that end up with a one then they're going to be in a nine-year. If it's a two, they're going to be in a one-year. And if they work with that, that will tell them exactly what year they're going to be in. That will make all the difference in the world because if they're going into a one-year, it's about fresh starts and new beginnings. If they're going into a two-year, it's all about partnerships, relationships. If they're going into a three-year, it's about creativity and communications. If it's a four-year, put your dungarees on. You're going to do nothing but work. If it's a five-year, there's a luck factor to it. And that's the kind of time you might want to take a, a flyer on something that has a drawing to it, a little chance to win maybe, better in a five than any other. But if it's a six, it'll be about family, family-type situations. The seven's about our spiritual side, learning and teaching. The eight's about our money, making money putting things in control. And the nine says it's what we're going to do for the world at large or what the world can do for us if we're kind and caring for others. So add your month and day together. When it reduces to a single number, add that to the eight. And starting September, as we're finishing things up and stepping into October, it'll show us what our new year is going to be about. So from October 1st, until the end of September of next year, that's the year you're going to be working on. The situation's good, bad, and ugly. Every bit of it's going to be there. So know where you are so you can make the most of it and get the best out of it. just thought that might be a, a good testing point. And if you have a question, you can always send a little tidbit to me on my website. If you have a question and you're not sure how to get to what your personal year is going to be, let me know, and I'll be happy to answer it for you. So that's that's my thing for what's coming up, folks. 
Okay. We all have the chance to learn a little bit more about ourselves with the challenges that we may be facing. So thank you for that, PK. Yes. Well, the eight years is all about our money. I don't care how we get into it, whether it's lack thereof, working at getting more, or adding to our job, whatever it takes. The eight's about our finances. Okay. Well, knowing that, I'd much rather talk about our topic tonight than finances. So. <laughs> I would, too. <laughs> Gosh, really. Yes, we can understand, for sure. <laughs> I know. This we can relate to, right? So Definitely. we have Definitely. a very special guest on tonight. I don't know how we haven't had him on at least a million times before because he knows everything about our favorite topic, UFOs and the paranormal, and how they meet the nexus point. We want to hear all about this from Preston Dennett tonight. Now, he's the author of a book called Humanoids and Strangeness. Now, he's also the author of 30 other books, my God, and he's a MUFON investigator. Now, he began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and coworkers we're having dramatic, unexplained encounters. Since then, he has interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He is a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of 30 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. Now, several of his books have been Amazon UFO bestsellers. His articles have appeared in numerous magazines, including Fate, Atlantis Rising, MUFON UFO Journal, Nexus, Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, Phenomena Magazine, Mysteries Magazine, Ufologist, and others. His writing has been translated into several different languages, including German, French, Portuguese, Russian, and Icelandic. He has appeared on numerous radio and television programs, including Midnight in the Desert, there's an old one, with Art Bell, Coast to Coast, and also the History Channel's Deep Sea UFOs, UFO Hunters, and Ancient Aliens. His research has been presented in the L.A. Times, the L.A. Daily News, Dallas Morning News, and other newspapers. He has taught classes on various paranormal subjects and lectures across the United States, and he's here with us. Thank goodness. Preston, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, for Patricia. Sure. Thanks for having me on. Hi, PK. It is I'm delighted pleasure. that you're here. Oh, God. Fabulous. So yes. Awesome. You know so much. We're going to be picking your brain tonight because you've had so many interviews with people and experiences within your own family and co oh my god co-workers too so tell us what what we know a little bit about what pushed you into this field did you want to solve the mystery is that what started it uh well that came along at some point no i was i hated ufos <laughs> i mean i really, oh, did. really? i did not believe it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i thought anyone was <laughs> I thought it was a ridiculous subject. I just didn't believe in it. I really didn't. You know, How funny. I was very into science. Yeah. And I thought, you know, stars are just too far away. 
You think you saw a UFO? You're sadly mistaken. Go away. It's a hoax. It's a hallucination. <laughs> it's a misperception. So I bought the government, Got you know, lying. I, they they definitely brainwashed me with the cover up. Until that, and I'm, I'm so thankful. Yeah, it was 1986, and I was pretty young, 21, and heard a report on the news, November 17. I'll never forget it about a sighting over Alaska. And this news report was very brief. You've probably heard of this sighting, the Japanese commercial airline. Oh, yes. Yes, that was Andrew a big Hirochi. one. Yeah. Uh, so they just kind of joked about it on the news. I later found out what an amazing sighting it was. But they did show the picture of the pilot, Kenju Torochi. And I thought, wow, that poor man. <laughs> he is probably throwing his career away because only an idiot would ever report a UFO, which in a way is kind of true at that time, certainly. <laughs> yeah. He did lose his job. Or Definitely. They him. Definitely. Yeah. But I remembered that my older brother, Mark, I had three older brothers, an older sister and a younger sister, so we're a big family. Yeah. And my older brother, Mark, had come running into the house one day. I was probably 14 or so. And he says, I saw a UFO. <sighs> And I just kind of looked at him and shook my head and didn't listen. Uh, but hearing this report on the news, I asked him about it. I'm like, Mark, what did you see? And boy, did I get a shock because now I was ready to listen for whatever reason. And he described this amazing sighting. I mean, it was close up, a metallic object, plastic saucer, colored lights, a dome on top, the whole deal. And get this, it was at treetop level, <laughs> just a few hundred feet away, and he was in his car with his two friends, and they chased it down Reseda Boulevard. This hmm. is in Southern California, right outside of L.A. So a very close-up sighting. <laughs> He's describing to this, <clears throat> this to me, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, no, no, no. You know, ask Phil, ask Greg. Those were his friends. And, of course, I did. <laughs> and it just kind of snowballed from there. I found out that my sister-in-law had seen UFOs, and had a face-to-face -face encounter with Grays. So that took her a while to tell me. Uh, my other sister-in-law had ET encounters as a young girl. Uh, turns out Mark's future wife. And let's see, a couple of friends had really amazing sightings. One had missing time. And it brought, stupid me, brought it up at work, and I got a earful for sure from People, you know, I loved and trusted these people. So I knew they weren't lying. And this one lady told me how she and her whole family had seen UFOs for about an hour, just darting around in the sky in the San Bernardino Mountains. And here was the clincher for me when Dorothy walks in. <laughs> and if you knew Dorothy, you'd love her. She's totally unfiltered and just a riot. She says, oh, UFOs once followed me home from the library. And she again described this classic saucer. Her mom, her friend saw it. She says, no, Preston, we live five minutes from the library, followed us home. We got home, looked out the window. This thing darts off, and they looked at the clock, and it was now 10.15. Well, they left the library at 9, right when it closed. She's like, Preston, I don't know what has happened to all the time. I'm like, Dorothy, you were abducted. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she's like, what? <laughs> I was so new to the field, I probably wouldn't have 
immediately tell a witness that now. <laughs> but I was <laughs> I was out of my mind with this. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you had missing time. Don't you know what that means? I just read Bud Hopkins' book, Missing Time. Oh, so, perfect. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that was my introduction. I joined MUFON, became a field investigator. You know, they give you a test. It's like 200 questions, and it was hard. Even though it was a take-home test, it was oh, not easy. My goodness. <laughs> I did really well, though. You'll be proud of me. I missed like two questions. <laughs> And and, yeah, I mean, I just joined every darn UFO organization. You know, when I found out about MUFON, they have their MUFON journal, right? So I I said, you know what? I'm subscribing to the MUFON journal and send me all your back issues going back to, I think it was like 1967 or something. So that's how gung-ho I was about this. What a change in the way that you started out to to that transition point and where you are today. I mean, back then, uh, it was really challenging for people that have had these experiences because there was no real support for it. I mean, you were made fun of. You were <laughs> told you were crazy. There was no, uh, <laughs> there was there was nobody like you are today who would be interested in hearing what they had to say and basically reporting back to MUFON on their experience. So very different times. And now, now here we have the government supposedly coming out and saying these lights in the sky, we just don't know what they are. But, you know, Preston, (laughs) I do have to say it. Yeah, right. Um, I'm glad you're on the show because one of the things that nobody's talking about in the disclosure movement is abductions. And yet, us three know, and our audience knows, that they've been going on for many, many years. They have never stopped. And so it's important to talk about it. I know the government doesn't want to talk about it because that would require them to divulge the truth, which is they can take you and me and PK and everybody at any time from any place whenever they want, and nobody can stop them. So... That's why I I think they don't want anybody to know that because it shows their weakness in the face of this whole paranormal event. So you've had face-to-face. You do. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) I thought you would. Um, (laughs) But you've had all these wonderful experiences with people who've had terrifying times and healing times. So one end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah, so without yeah, giving amazing. too much away about your wonderful new book, Humanize and Strange, High Strangeness, tell us some stories. What are the stories that really, really impacted you? Oh, gosh, there's 20 of them, so it's hard to choose. But there are some that definitely, I mean, just, and they're all special. That's kind of why I wanted to include them in the book. But one, which was really interesting to me, occurred in upstate New York, West Corners, New York. I think that's upstate. Uh, This was back in 1965, so some time ago, and the main witness, Robert Barton, was just a little boy, four years old. As you know, contact does usually start around that age for contactees. And he had the oddest experience with it. I mean, it began in a very unusual way. 
he was in his living room watching TV. His dad was at work. His mom's in the kitchen. And his little sister is in her bedroom. And he saw someone from the corner of his eye in his peripheral vision looking at him through the living room window. So he quickly turns his head, and whoever it was drops down immediately, so fast you can't see who it is. And he turned back and watched the TV, and it happened again. And after the third time, he's thinking, you know, this is my friends. They're playing a joke on me. But the window's a little bit too high for someone to do this. So he's thinking, well, maybe they're standing on each other's shoulders or something. So he walks up to the window, and being a little kid, (laughs) he sticks his thumb in his ears and wiggles his fingers and sticks out his tongue (laughs) doing, you know, that little kid kind of funny face. (laughs) And at this point, and this is so weird, this gray E.T. rises up and stares at him from about a foot away. Now, back then, he didn't, there was no talk of gray E.T.s. This is 1965. So he doesn't quite understand what he's looking at. but he can tell it's not human because it's, of course, got the big, large head. I had him draw it for me. The dark eyes, uh, very, very small mouth, tiny little upturned nose, your typical gray. Although it was wearing a deep red vest, a a red-colored vest, sleeveless, (laughs) which is unusual. That is unusual because, yeah, I haven't heard that before. Uh-huh. Right? That's that, that's a little strange. But he, like, stares at it for about 10 seconds and then starts screaming, <laughs> runs to the kitchen, and grabs his mom. <laughs> she doesn't want to hear it. But she pulls, he pulls her by the arm. Oh, look, to, out the window. <laughs> of course, by the time she gets in the living room, there's nobody there. He's not going to go near the window, but pushes her to it. <laughs> and she looks out. She says, honey, there's nobody there. And he's like, I saw a wolf. I think I saw a wolf. And she's like, a wolf? And he's like, yeah, I was wearing a red vest. <laughs> and she's looking at him like he's crazy. <laughs> but, but he was clearly upset. So she's like, not sure what to make of it. She knows he's not really a liar. And they talked about it. The whole family, of course, found out. And uh, it was this was the first of about a half dozen incidents like this <laughs> where he'd be sitting in the living room, catch movement out of the corner of his eye, and finally just run up to the window and do you know stick his tongue out the whole deal <laughs> and this gray alien would pop up and he says the longest he was ever able to look at it was about 30 seconds which is a long time mm-hmm. especially if you're a little kid <laughs> yes it is and, and, uh, now, did he ever just... have an abduction did they ever take him aboard their ship or anything like that yes and I think what was going on here was this was sort of a way of introducing him to all of this. Because oh his little gosh. sister was saying, yeah, uh, Robert, I saw, or called him Bobby, I, I saw a alien come out of your room, was holding a little rod, and it walked up to me, and it, you know, she tried to run for the door to get mom. And, of course, it zapped her and carried her back into the bed. So that happened more than once. And she she didn't know what it was either, but they're you know they don't know how to interpret this, right? But more more weird things happened. 
Uh, he woke up outside once, and there was a UFO hovering over him. He was like, well, that looks like a spaceship. Uh, and then it was about a year later, he woke up on board a craft, and his mom oh and his sister were there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They so, were all there. Okay. Yeah. He's fully conscious. This is not something he recalled under hypnosis. He has an eidetic memory. Um, there's a name for it, photographic memory, and, which is weird because I get a lot of contactees describing that, having really good memories. And he's That's unusual, isn't it? Because most uh, most people get their minds wiped, so they don't remember it. Yeah, but I think if a person has a photographic memory, that that gives them an edge, and this is perhaps why he was able to remember. I'm speculating. That's interesting. Here. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So a photographic um, memory can prevent the mind wipe. It sounds like. I, I think it might, because I've got. Cool. Several other cases like that, yeah. But you know, long story short, his mom was in a trance. His little sister is really, you know, she's what three to four years old, just crying her eyes out. And they were escorted by Grays down this curved corridor, and they took his mom and his sister into a room. And he started to follow them. And they said, No, 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 you go into the next room. He's like, I want to be with my mom. And they said, no, 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 you can't. You have to go into the next room. We'll take you to her when you're done. And they took him into another room and physically examined him. He says it wasn't really that scary, just a little unpleasant. And they said, could hear them talking. They were talking about his health condition. And they said, well, there's a problem with him. We're not sure if he's good for the program. And he thought, uh-oh, what does that mean? Yeah. And they kept examining him, and they said, no, you know what? This is not going to manifest until he's an adult when he's well past child-rearing age, so, <laughs> hmm. which turned out to be true. As an adult, he was diagnosed with diabetes and a heart condition. But wow, he had had okay. <laughs> so he was huh. able to reproduce, which apparently was their concern. But then, you know, he's done. And they said, he says, okay, you know, I want to go home. Take me to my mom. And they said, we'll take you to her when she's done. And that pissed him off because that's not what they had said to him. <laughs> right. Said, I'll take Those liars. And when you're done. <laughs> right. He had to wait there. Yeah, for like 15 minutes or so. Uh, finally, they took him into another room. There was his mom, still in a trance, his sister still teary-eyed, and took him into this room. And he said, the weirdest thing happened, the floor turned transparent. And I'm like, yep, I've heard this before. Mm-hmm. And next thing he knows, they're like, don't look down, don't look down. But he did, being a kid, tell them, tell them not to do something. What's the first thing they're going to do? Yeah, they're going to do it. <laughs> so, exactly. So he yeah, looks down, sure. and they're floating down on a beam of light. And very slowly, just kind of gently like an elevator. And he watches the tops of the trees coming at them and freaks out and just, boom, they're on the ground, and that's all he really remembers. But that was his first of a number of experiences. Yeah, that one, like, wow, that really was an amazing story to me. That is an amazing story, and it's so wonderful that he remembered all of this without having to undergo hypnosis. 
so this is right, you know, right from his own experience mm-hmm. without anybody having to put him under. But, you know, this brings up so many questions. And you've had so many interactions with people like Bobby. What do you think, Preston? This seems to be very intergenerational. They they target whole families and then the next generation and the next generation. What's your take on that? Yeah, 100%. I see that all the time. It's one of the questions I always ask people. Like, Have your parents had encounters, grandparents? You know, what about your children? And, in fact, this is an amazing case in the book. It's the first chapter, and I put it there because it speaks to that in a really profound way. This guy, um, his name is Richard Simon, was seven years old when suddenly he had this really bad case of insomnia. Overnight, he just couldn't sleep. One day, he's fine. The next day, he's not. And he just had this fear of intruders and could not sleep through the night. And this went on all the way into adulthood, about 20, 22 years old. His mom, Ines, says, you know what? I'm going to a hypnotherapist to quit smoking. Why don't you come along and we'll work on your insomnia? And he's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I don't trust hypnotists. He's like, listen, this is a, a professional hypnotist. I looked her up. She's legitimate. Come along with me. You need to find out what's wrong. And so they went, and she went into the office, and he's in the waiting room, and he can hear her screaming and crying. He's thinking, what's going on? I thought she was just trying to quit smoking. <laughs> this is strange. And after an hour, she comes out, crying her tears, and he says, Mom, what happened? Because I'll tell you later, you go in the office and talk to the hypnotist. Her name is Rita. So Rita starts talking to him. She's like, okay. You know, he's like, what's wrong with my mom? She says, we'll talk about that after. And uh, she asks him, you know, what's going on with you? He says, well, I can't sleep. You know, I don't know why. I just can't. I take catnaps during the day. And she asked him, you know, is your family life Okay. Any abuse, you know, any trauma? And he's like, no, no. Got loving parents. Had a great childhood. I just can't sleep. And it all began at age seven. So they, she puts him under hypnosis, and which took, you know, 20, 30 minutes to get him into a trance. And she said, ask him, you know, what, why do you think you can't sleep? And instantly he saw this light shining in his eyes and these you know, non-human faces looking down at him, and the dam broke. I mean, he just suddenly remembered this full-on onboard experience, which was somewhat harrowing for a little kid of age seven. Oh, yeah. He was examined by Grays. Yeah, and he could, he's on board, you know, he's like, take me home, take me home. And they said, we'll take you home when we're done. And what's the matter, child? They kept asking him. He's like, I'm cold, and I want to go home. And they would soothe him. He says, actually, they they were somewhat nurturing. So although he was scared, he doesn't feel like they were trying to scare him or evil in any way. And later, as an adult, he thinks they, yeah, he thinks they might have actually been doing a healing procedure on his stomach. Mm. Um, There's reasons he believes that. But he also remembers hearing a woman screaming, letting out a 
string of cuss words saying, if you hurt my son, I will bleep and kill you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, that was his mom. (laughs) And he finally, you know, he goes through the whole memory of all of this with the hypnotist and wakes up, actually accused her. Like, you put this, you planted this in my head. You, he called her names. He was mad at this hypnotist. And she says, listen, calm down. I did not say one word. Here's the tape. All I said was, what is causing your insomnia? I did not lead you in any way. You remembered this. And, in fact, so did your mom. You should talk to her. (laughs) And, of course, they did. They compared notes. And what they recalled was exactly the same to how many little grays there were, another taller gray, and another very tall being. And, and that's not unusual either, is it, that there's different size aliens on board? Because uh, we've often heard this. They have the short grays, and then they have some tall ones, tall whites, or something else. And then other people have talked about the mantis, and they're in the background. But it <clears throat> sounds like yeah. it's all, you know, it's very similar, a lot of these abductions. Yeah, and that's how you know that this is not made up, because these are people who don't know each other. There's little tiny details that are perhaps not super well-known, like the tools they use and the clothes they wear and interior of the UFO and just little things like that. Yeah, but exactly. What was, so, what, was, yeah, what was so interesting about this case is his mom, Ines, turns to him and says, you know, honey, when I was seven years old, I had an encounter. I never told you, <laughs> but she had seen a little being when she was in the barn of her you know, home, I think it was in Gosh, Kentucky or Arkansas or somewhere. And so he grows up, has you know, gets married, has kids. His child is seven years old, or his child Sarah, and he's playing with her Barbies and comes running into the living room and says, Daddy, 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 I need to talk to you. And he's like, not now, honey, I'm watching TV. And he was watching a show about ETs and oh. Grays. And she's like, no, 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 Daddy, it's important. It's really important. And finally he turns to her and says, what? And she points to the TV where there is a gray. And she says, Daddy, that's what's coming into my room. That's coming oh my into my God. room, that monster. Oh, my goodness. Poking me, yes, poking me in the nose. That's why my nose keeps bleeding. She was having these severe <laughs> nosebleeds. What a horrible thing, too, because as a parent, you really want to protect your children from harm and having your daughter come running into the room and telling you this after you found out your mother had this experience and now you had this experience and now your daughter i mean he must have been beside himself with with worry and concern oh yeah and i think this is probably one of the number one complaints one is the loss of control like i don't feel like i have for this the other is this is happening to my children and the people are very protective, obviously, of their children. So, yeah, he actually wrote to Whitley Strieber, and he said, listen, this is generational. This is a pattern. But yes. it, wait, it, it gets even more crazy because she grows up. He gets married. His seven-year-old daughter is now a full-on adult and had, this was just a couple of years ago, she had a child who grew up, to age seven, and that starts saying, Mommy, there's a monkey man 
looking in my window. Oh, God. Oh, wow. Jesus monkey, Christ. Man. Here we go again. Yeah. So this is four generations. So this four no generations, hair. and you Stuff. can't stop it. There's nobody on this planet that can stop it. They're just going to do what they want to do. Well, I know of cases where people have stopped it, actually. How? How do they um, do that? By just force of will. By saying, no, I really do not want this. I absolutely do not want this. Go away. That doesn't always work. And I think one of the reasons is because there's a, we have a tendency to compartmentalize our consciousness. And part of us is saying, I don't want this. This is scary. And there's another part of us, perhaps our subconscious, if, if you will, saying, you know, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> I'm wondering how this is you know, going to roll out and so forth. Uh, but yeah, it it is very hard for people, I think, to reach that With point children. where they. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so, and <clears throat> again, this goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning, that of the show that the government doesn't want to talk about it for this very reason. It can't be stopped. Yes. But Preston, what's your take on this whole experience? That it's intergenerational. And it's not under our control. Why? Why is this yeah. happening? Well, initially I was horrified. I, I was not happy. I thought this was you know, bad news for humanity. But one of the first cases I got was full on, you know, what we would call a person being taken on board, having hybrid babies. She lashed out once and kicked one of these grays in the neck and actually broke its neck. She had witnesses. I mean, she she had good evidence. And she was healed. I'm like, you're kidding. said, no, no, I was diagnosed with a cyst, and I was about to have an operation, and they showed up, and they removed it, went to the hospital, and the whole staff freaked out because they, you know, said, your cyst is gone. (laughs) What's going on? You had surgery. She's like, no, 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 I did not. And they said, yes, you did. (laughs) We've got the evidence right here. Here's the x-ray. And I started looking looking into cases like that, and I found so what do you think of that? that people healed oh you did yeah, you they, found all those this, cases okay yeah this is this is one of their goals. this is one of the reasons people are taken on board, and I started to take another more objective look at the onboard UFO experience, and what I found kind of made me reverse my opinions. Because while it is very scary, and most of the people I talk to say, oh, yeah, it was terrifying, most of the people I talk to tell me that, no, this, I don't think this is evil. I don't think they're trying to hurt me. I wouldn't trade this for anything. Not all, but I would say 9 out of 10 tell me that, which kind of surprised me initially. Yeah. So I took yeah. a deeper look at this. And, yeah, the scariest, worst part I hear is the physical exam. Which mm-hmm. is understandable. No one, no one really likes being poked and prodded anyway. But, but this is when they heal you. And if you have a lot of panic and a lot of fear, you might categorize this as evil or bad or unpleasant. And a lot of people do initially. And this is when they have missing time. This is when that's all they remember and they shelve it and they don't want to deal with it. But then they start having more experiences. 
and their memory comes flooding forth, and they start to have fully conscious experiences, and they realize, like, okay, because what happens is after they examine you, they start to talk to you, and they will give you messages, and they're really profound, and they really are. They talk to people about, well, generally speaking, it's a couple of categories. It's warnings against nuclear proliferation, warnings against greed and corruption, uh, war and aggression, pollution, the destruction of the environment. They're very much concerned about how we're treating ourselves, each other, and our planet. And this is well, maybe universal. they've got a lot to say today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and they'll take you down to the engine room, or what we would think of as the engine room. Like, this is how we mm-hmm. power our craft. This is how we fly the, the ships. And it's usually along the lines of anti-gravity or electromagnetism, um, harnessing the Earth's gravitational fields, that sort of thing. And then they'll take you up to the observation deck. I mean, this is the pattern I see over and over and over again. I've talked to hundreds of people who describe this. They go up to, you know, a certain part of the ship, usually the top, but not always, and the walls will turn transparent, and they can see a star field. Or we'll see Earth far below, or the moon, or Saturn. I've had three or four cases of people taken to Saturn. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing. And then they will take you to the control room, literally the helm of the craft, and say, this is how we fly the craft. Would you like to sit in the seat? Would you like to try it? I've got case after case of people actually sitting in the pilot seat. So this is why when I started to realize, well, you know what? This is being misportrayed in the media, which is very fear-based. And I found out that I found a lot of researchers were um, not putting out the complete story of what people were experiencing because there's a very pronounced, prominent spiritual aspect to the contact experience. Cause, and this is where the paranormal comes in. Cause I had, I'm like, oh gosh, I have to start researching ghosts and mediumship and levitation and precognition and healing because this is what the contactees are reporting following their experience. They have a huge psychic awakening and start seeing ghosts or shadow people or past life recall, or having out-of-body experiences, or being able to do healing. I mean, it's off the charts. That's a rule. That's not an exception. This is almost always part of the contact experience. So, you know, I'm kind of rambling. No, no, you're not at all. It's positive. We've heard this also from a number of abductees. Um, But then there is a difference we've been hearing about between the people that have had experiences in North America and other places around the world and then the people that have them in South America. The South American experiences are a whole different thing, right? I mean, they can be deadly. Um, Well, yes. And I think, and I really wondered about that. Because in this new book, I interviewed a guy from, Argentina, who had an amazing healing experience. It was wonderful. 
I interviewed another guy from Peru. Another really wonderful experience in the psychic awakening, the kind of pattern I normally see. But then you get the, the Colares Brazil series of incidents where people were allegedly killed or died after being struck by a beam of light. You know, the chupa chupas, they call them, because they, they were basically getting radiation sickness. Mm-hmm. And that was one example. And some researchers think that may be what we would call my labs government operations, which are basically false staged encounters made to look like it's ETs doing it when it's not. Now, that I makes can't sense. Say for sure that that, yeah, I can't say for sure all of that is what's going on. But the more I look into it, you know, that's what it looks like to me because there does seem to be an ET threat narrative being put forth by our, I'll call them our governments. It's not really the standard government as we think of it, the secret government. Not anymore, yeah. Yeah, everything is it's now dark and foreboding. But, yeah, but we've heard, you know, that the South American experience is at times uh, very unpleasant, whether it's one of ours that's doing it or one of theirs. Um, but, yeah. Some some really horrific reports have come out of South America, and some good ones, like you mentioned. I mean, Peru has a long history with UFO sightings and alien beings even living there. So, <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot to be said about that, but there did seem to be a big difference. And, again, so much to consider. We've also heard a lot about uh, these beings are actually from our future. What do you think about that? I looked into that and I scoured the literature because I don't have any cases personally of mm-hmm. ETs, you know, saying "We're you from the future." So I'm going to say no on that because while you can march out a few cases which might support that, it's just a few. It's cherry picking and shoe fitting, and I just don't think there's enough evidence to support that. I will say the ETs. No do appear to have the ability to time travel, at least to a certain extent. I think it's a little bit beyond our own understanding, but they can go to the past because there's cases of that or pull people out of the time stream and do what they do and put, pop them right back into their room minutes later. But I don't have any good evidence or I can't find any good reporting that these are us from the future or even aliens from the future. Uh, so I'm gonna, yeah, I mean, that's my assessment based on my research and what I've reviewed of the literature. And one thing I want to ask you about is Betty and Barney Hill's case, which I think yeah. I always thought was completely legitimate, especially because Betty was able to identify a star that our astronomers had yet to find, but eventually did. <clears throat> However... I was more than shocked to hear Dr. Stephen Greer say that that abduction experience was from our own shadow government UFO stuff. I don't agree with that, but I'm wondering what you think. Yeah, well, I've argued with him about this, actually. Okay, good. Very early on. <laughs> um, because, I, you know, I was part of CSETI. Uh, where, you know, we called down UFOs. He formed that group. And I think he was a legit contactee because we did have sightings. I had had sightings in his presence. And 
we talked about this. He says, you know, anyone who thinks they're being taken on board is probably a MyLab. I'm like, well, listen, you had an encounter. What about you? He's like, well, mine was friendly. I'm like, okay. And I started going through all the other cases, and he was skeptical. And that's his right. But I don't think so. Yeah, I don't agree with that that at all. (laughs) No, and I met Betty Hill. Yeah, I met Betty Hill. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and I really felt from everything that she shared with me, this was a genuine ET experience. Um, I had no intuitive feelings at all that this was from our shadow government or whomever the heck they are. They're doing these things. None at all. I think this was a real bona fide deal. So, anyhow, well, I'm glad to hear that you feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, everybody can be as skeptical as they want, but when he said that, it just didn't make sense. Yeah, and she did have have later encounters, which her niece, Kathleen Martin, talks about. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think it was absolutely a legitimate case, and I know of a lot of details in that case, which are very reflective or corroborating with other cases. It's a yeah, I think it's an absolutely 100% legitimate case. Uh, yeah, it's a I agree case for sure. <laughs> oh yes. Yes, absolutely. And we've heard stories of people being healed as well. Um, Carl Higdon, you're familiar with him, the Wyoming hunter. Oh, yeah. Love that case. Yeah, and Carl, I mean, he had physical proof because his lungs were scarred from tuberculosis before the event. And then after they dumped him back on the ground, he was half out of his mind. Remember that, PK? They talked about that. He almost got shot because he was so crazed. They didn't know what to make of any of this and thought he might be dangerous. But they took him to the hospital, and it was there that they saw that his lungs, there was the scar tissue that had been there all those years from TB was gone. And his blood was enriched. Yes, and his blood, that's right. Kidney stones, too. Right. And his blood was enriched with the, whatever they gave him, some type of a, a pill. So, yeah, I mean, there's another example of that. But it's so weird because then, you know, you think about why they just dump him back like that. I mean, he ended up <clears throat> falling down the hill and injuring his shoulder. It's like <laughs> such a disparity between, well, we're going to heal you, but now we're going to dump you off. and <laughs> You're going to fall off a cliff in the dark. <laughs> And hurt your shoulder. Oh, well, my bad. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's strange. You know, it's like you'd think if they're going to show that kind of care, then it would be consistent, but it isn't. Yeah, well, maybe they had to, you know, dump him. I don't, oh, I don't like that word, but put him down very quickly due to a situation. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about yeah, I don't the case. Know. I do know that there were other witnesses. We saw the UFO in that area at that time. They mm-hmm. found this truck out in the field with no tracks leading to it. Right. I mean, it was an amazing right. case. And, uh, yeah, also healed of kidney stones, like I said. So uh, it, there's so many interesting details to his case. It was a tiny little UFO. <laughs> he goes inside, and it's huge on the inside. It was just, yeah. you know, like 20 feet across when he saw it. But goes inside, and there's room after room after room. 
That's a yeah, neat detail that I do hear. You hear that somewhat, don't you? And it's so much like the TARDIS from Doctor Who, bigger on the inside, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think this speaks to how truly advanced these guys are, technologically speaking. Well, psychically as well, but absolutely it just would sort of speak to how they can control time and space and traverse interstellar distances, which is what you know mainstream scientists like what's his name, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Carl Sagan and others are saying, eh, they can't possibly traverse the distances between the stars. Well, yes, they can. And, sure. and we're seeing it because there's so, so many cases. This is not nearly as rare as people think. There's, you heard of the Roper poll in 1991? They, they found no. one. What is that one? People. Yeah, this is... There's always been a lot of questions as to how common is being taken on board. And very early on, I wrote an article for the MUFON Journal called One in Forty, which was based on a quote from J. Allen Hynek, who, of course, is the father of modern ufology, defective yes. project blue book. And he said, yeah, one in 40 people. And I thought, no way. <laughs> that is far That's too many. That's amazing. Not somebody... <laughs> And I surveyed all the researchers I could find from, you know, Bud Hopkins to David Jacobs, Jacques Vallée, you know, all of them. And they were all basically saying, this is an invisible epidemic. This is far more common than people realize. And so I wrote that article for the MUFON Journal and sent it off, and they published it to my delight. And it was just a year or two later in 1991 that the Roper Organization, which is polling on all different subjects, uh, tackled the UFO subject, asked a bunch of questions with little hidden questions about UFOs that would indicate whether a person is a contactee or not. Like, have you had a close-up UFO sighting, missing time, unexplained marks on your body, a healing, being orbs of light, you know, these sort of questions. And they found one in 50, one in 50 people. Can you imagine? That's millions upon millions of people. That we all is. Know someone I, who's had I did not experience. know about that. Oh, my goodness. PK, did you know that statistic? I'm just mind-boggling to what you're coming up with. Incredible. Jeez. Yeah. And, and again, here's our government not being willing to talk about any of that. It's all about, oh, look at these lights in the sky we have videos of. Who cares? I mean, let's talk about the people that have exactly. had first-hand experiences. Oh, it's infuriating. We hear NASA saying, oh, well, we've collected some sightings, but we're not sure what this is. Pick up a <laughs> UFO book. Honestly, so what is stupid. wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, we just we're know at this point that lying. Yeah, they're talking about lights in the, the sky. Who cares? Yeah, look, look at the landing trace cases. There's thousands of them. Three, four, five thousand. Well, there's much more than that. But really good, legitimate, well investigated landing trace cases. And like you say, why aren't they talking about contactees? Not one mention of Travis Walton nope. or Carl Higdon or any of these guys. Betty Andreas and Whitley Strieber. Oh gosh, who was the guy? Um, Char, Char, yeah, Charlie Hickson and Calvin Parker. Right. Don't talk about them. Right. Man, oh, man. Infuriating. I know. 
It, it really is, and not only because they're not mentioning it, but because there was a huge disinformation campaign that was launched against each and every one of them. And they they did so much to try to discredit them, to try to intimidate them. I mean, they went to Travis's friends and tried to pay him off. You know, yes, offered him money. I heard about to, that. To, mm-hmm. Yeah, to make mm-hmm. Travis look bad. And this yes, is why so, so many people stay silent. I mean, I, I interviewed a lady, a nurse. This is, she's the subject of my book, Symmetry. Dolly Saffron, a oh, great witness. And she's a former nurse, Department of Defense employee, bus driver, zookeeper, lifeguard, a good witness. She kept mm-hmm. silent her whole life, her whole adorn life. And she's, her case is the most extensive of anyone I've ever researched. So, and couldn't talk about it because the climate just was so hostile. It's changing yeah. now, thank goodness, but. I'm sure I don't know if it's any less hostile, though. Yeah, I don't know if it's any less hostile. I think maybe they've changed the game because you know about the case in Las Vegas, recent one, where the people said they saw the tall aliens in their backyard, they saw the UFO in the sky, all of that. Now, their tactics apparently have changed. Instead of trying to discredit them, they just pay them off. Now, I heard... This I can't say if it's true or not, but I did hear it from a reliable source that the people who did witness it were paid off a lot of money to never talk about it again. So huh. that's what my contact told me. I don't know. That, that was but, all over the media and that disappeared, and I was hoping that right. it would at least get legitimately researched. But Well, they don't, don't want know. it legitimately researched it. because it is legitimate, no. apparently. <laughs> And that's why they yeah, don't want anybody problem. saying it that mm-hmm. it is. Again, the government is so paranoid because, you know, they don't want to look like they're uh, without power here. They want, to, they want to own this, and you know that. We know that. As they want to keep a stranglehold on the information, and anybody who is releasing information that they don't want, they're going to deal with them one way or another. Now, they used to, in the past, threaten them like they did with all the descendants of Roswell. They even threatened their grandchildren, right? Now it looks like money talks. So they're just flashing the big dollars at these people and telling them to shut up and we'll pay you. So I I don't know if that's an improvement. This whole situation. I know. I mean, I don't know. Is it any better that they're paying them rather than threatening to kill them? I don't know. Either way, they're they're keeping these people are afraid to talk. I don't know what's so hard to tell the, about telling the truth. It's really easy, actually. That's exactly. Tell the truth. I agree with you. Why are they so afraid of the truth? Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to greed and power and control and control, mm-hmm. controlling the narrative. Honestly, I think you know these recent steps towards disclosure, and I put that in quotes disclosure because it's right. not <laughs> no is only because they want you know they have to they're starting to look absolutely irrelevant unbelievable not credible because there's enough evidence now in the public arena disclosure in a sense has already happened i mean how much evidence do you need to say that this is a real subject it's there 
They know right. it. We know it. So that's why I think they're saying, okay, fine. We'll look into it. And here's some sightings. One's a balloon. Oh, God. Just We need to stop look, looking to them for answers. Cause we're not yeah, well, we don't. Them. We don't need yeah. any answers from them. They'll never. In fact, we've had people on the show from the military that have said that their contacts have told them they will never tell us the truth, ever. I believe that's yep. true. They won't. And so, yeah, people have, as you said, you know, we've all learned that you don't look to them for any answers. They're never going to give you any. And it's unfortunate because, you know, right now everybody's got a cell phone. Everybody can take a video of a UFO and post it, and it's all over the world. And that's one of the reasons why they've decided to handle it this way. Oh, now we're going to call it UAP. And now we're going to say we have this Tic Tac thingy. And so we're going to... We're going to just change the game, and you'll see we've still got it. You know, we're still in power here. They're not. They're not at no. all. But no. it's it's it is frustrating, and I think what has been done to abductees in the past is absolutely disgusting. There was no reason to do what they did. I mean, Betty and Bob on Betty Andreas and Luca and her husband Bob Luca. I mean, they were followed around by black helicopters for mm-hmm. years. The FBI would show right. up at Bob's place of work. I mean, it it was just harassment after harassment. They actually, the mm-hmm. DOD broke into his computer, his personal I've computer. I've called the people. Has, yeah, his proof. This is a, a real problem. You know, when I first met Dolly Saffron, who I mentioned earlier, I met her face to face at UFO MegaCon. We had rented an Airbnb. Well, I'm driving mm-hmm. back from the conference to the Airbnb, which is, you know, five miles away. You go down the main highway and off a little side street, and then there's five or ten turns or so. Well, we're being followed. I told me, I think we're being followed. Because I was, you know, don't, don't want to be paranoid, but after the third turn, and this car is still right behind us, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and sure yeah, enough, yeah, they followed true. us right to the Airbnb. And then we, as we're walking in, they blocked the driveway and go with oh. us. Who does that? <laughs> I, mean, I know it. She's like, I'm telling you, this is because she already provided proof to me. But I've had so many cases of this. That other lady I talked told you about who had her fist healed. Yes. Someone <laughs> came into her apartment and stole her hypnosis tapes. <laughs> oh. Not her stereo, not her money, the hypnosis tapes. I yeah. talked to another guy in upstate New York. But, you know, I always tell witnesses, the first thing you need to do is just write down. Write everything down in a diary. This will is very therapeutic. It will help keep things straight. It will make sure that this is recorded because there are some memory issues with UFO encounters. Always write it down. So he wrote down all of his experiences, put it on a manila envelope on the mantle. Someone broke into his house and took that. Oh, for goodness sake. Yeah, he called the police, and the police are like, well, we can't help you. It's not valuable. The valuables were taken. He's like, it's valuable to me. Yeah, that's right. And somebody broke in. I mean, that's Incredible. the bottom line. Oh, gosh. It, it is just so frustrating. And, again, this is a lot of this is why people still keep their mouths shut about it, um, even though the climate has changed to a certain degree. It, it still is troubling that... There isn't enough support for people that have these experiences to share them. 
but a lot of brave souls yeah. have done it. Well, gosh, you should, you know, I get calls from people, you know, they contact me a number of different ways. But when I interview them, often they'll say something like, you know, I've never told anybody this. My wife doesn't know, right. my husband. I've not told my family. I don't have any history of mental illness. Got a good right. job. You know, they, I don't do drugs. And they go through all these caveats, like, just please believe me when I tell you this. And right. They, sometimes I'm there, these are grown people who are reduced to tears mm-hmm. just because they want some answers. They want someone to talk to. More, you know, you know, I've written a lot of books on this, but most people don't end up in my books. I'm just there to, you know, kind of help them through this experience. There's, like you said, not a lot of resources or recourse for people. Such a shame. Yeah, Bud Hopkins did provide a lot of support for people when he was alive. I mean, he did uh, groups, as you know, you know, support groups for people. And there's a few others that have done the same in terms of oh, yeah. like a therapeutic group. Um, but again, you run the risk of government surveillance and threats to your life, your family, et cetera, in the past anyways. So, yeah, it's unfair. I mean, not only do you end up questioning your own experience and your own sanity, but you have everybody else doing it for you, and then the government coming down on your head, tailing you and intimidating you. So it's just a horrible thing all the way around. As uh, David Hopkins used to say, there is no upside <laughs> sharing your experience, and that's true. Yeah, well, I'm not going to completely agree with that because I think it is therapeutic for a person to talk about it. Yeah, but, with somebody uh, like you, yeah. you know, that because you are a compassionate person, you're also very intelligent, and you've been around this for a long time, so you've been able to piece this together and know that it is the truth. So you're offering them friendship as well as being able to to offer them compassion, which is a great gift that you're giving to all of these people. Well, sometimes they're upset with me because they're like, oh, my God, you mean I'm not crazy? I'm like, no, no. I'm like, oh, shoot. I know, really. (laughs) I was talking to one guy who was, you know, a very left-brained lawyer, and he was describing a sighting. It was clear to me he had missing time but did not know it. I had to kind of lead him to that. I'm like, well, listen, where were you standing? (laughs) And then where did you find yourself? And what time was it? And he started to get this horrified look on his face. He's like, oh, my God. You know, I don't remember all of this. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. You're, you're here. You're fine. They're not here to hurt us. I think it's the opposite. There's no evidence they're here to take over. Uh, that's absolute disinformation and misinformation or fear-based thinking. Uh, and, yeah, I let him. He, he later called me and like, Man, oh, man, I can't thank you enough. You really helped me through this. Uh, but, yeah, it's weird because a person has an encounter, and they go through all of that, and then they go through the triple whammy of, like, telling people and being ridiculed or disbelieved, and then even harassed by government folks. It's ridiculous. It's not is. acceptable. It's awful. Yeah. It's really horrible, and if anybody has the slightest bit of paranoia, it's going to grow exponentially with an experience like this. But, again, I, yeah, it's just, you know, how can it get better? But, again, with people like you, Preston, they have a chance to 
to get more of this story out there and also to feel like, yeah, they're not crazy. And you're also able to point out things that they missed, like the time element, that they were taken aboard mm-hmm. or they were somewhere somewhere else. And that's important because anything, I was a therapist for so many years, and anything that's hidden, any secret that we have from ourselves, including any kind of a mind wipe that may have happened, that is going to affect you forever until it comes to the surface. So that's why that is, is so important. It's really important to know about it. It's really important to know all of what happened. Now, do yeah. you ever send people to hypnotists to bring up more of the story? Very, very rarely. I don't generally recommend it unless a person has had a very clear-cut case of missing time and they're dead set on finding out what happened and they're suffering from crippling anxiety. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean they can't sleep, they can't function. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I believe hypnosis works. You know, I've talked to Barbara Lamb. I've talked to Yvonne Smith. I've talked about Hopkins. There's no doubt in my mind that used correctly, it's a legitimate tool, which is used by law enforcement and therapists very successfully. But studies have shown it to be unreliable when used incorrectly. It is controversial, which is why in my books, I would say nine out of ten cases don't involve hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I just wanted to say, listen, you, people will tell me, oh, this is all just hypnotically recalled, and you can't trust it. I'm like, well, stop right there, because that does not hold water. It just doesn't. All these cases are fully conscious recall. Uh, so I'm not on the fence about it. I just think that there's a few things people should do first before they mm-hmm. go hypnosis and that would be like I said write everything down look it over and then put it aside and then go back to it and write it down again and if you can do this three or four times you'll start to remember a lot more details and Uh then I recommend meditation and that is really effective because what we see what I see certainly is people will have a sudden cue they'll see something that reminds them of the experience and it comes flooding back. And this can be something as simple as breaking a tooth or seeing an airplane flying down a beam of light or a helicopter or seeing a UFO book, Whitley Strieber's book. That face on the cover (laughs) woke a lot of people up. Yeah, I I bet. I can tell you how the people told me that, yeah. So that's what I recommend doing dream work and go to bed at night. So I'd like to dream about what happened during this missing time incident. Because if you remember the Betty and Barney Hill case, Betty had dreams about what happened, and they were very right. detailed and turned out to mm-hmm. match perfectly what she recalled under hypnosis. I mean, event for event. It's, so those things you can do prior to hypnosis that might even override the need to go under hypnosis. So, I, yeah, I, I think it works. I have rarely recommended it. But, well, those yeah. are good suggestions. Yeah, that would be... Definitely. You're very balanced. Yeah. And your description of what you're telling people is a better way to handle things. And it makes it so much easier because it's 
so natural and normal feeling when you put it the way you do. Yeah, I did talk to one guy who's a medical doctor and a pilot. He said, you know, I did go into hypnosis. And it's not that he regretted it, but he thought, you know, this is, I remember what happened. He was pulled on board, examined. In another case, he was just kind of put to the side because it was his friend who was apparently the object of interest. But it's like, you know, what I got was a hypnotically recalled memory. And it's different from what I hmm. consciously remember. And I, huh. you know, a few people have told me that. There was another professor, uh, a college professor, who went into hypnosis. He's like, well, you know, I'm just a little bit ambivalent about the recall <laughs> because, you know, it, he saw grays. And he's like, well, you know, I already knew about grays. And he wonders if perhaps he had made that up. I don't think so, judging on his whole story. Mm-hmm. He had little details that, you know, like I said, there's little details people don't know about. Yeah. Absolutely corroborate their story. Here's one. This freaked me out because these two boys in East Palo, Texas, were having contact with little blue beings. And missing time and the whole deal, they'd, you know, they'd come into their room, the room would light up, the stories you normally hear. But then they said, you know, the weirdest thing was we'd wake up in the morning wrapped up in our blankets like Tootsie Rolls, you know, like, like burritos or something, but so tight they couldn't get out. And the parents would come in and be like, how did you do this? And like, we did it. It's the little blue man. And, and the, the parents didn't believe him, but it happened over and over again. Well, you know, I put the book out, and one of the guys in the book called me up. He's like, you know, I finished reading the book. Oh, my God, that chapter with the kids who got wrapped up, that would happen to me, too. I didn't tell you because I didn't. I'm like, oh, gosh. And I didn't oh, think my goodness. Ask, but did you ever wake up wrapped like a taco? So I, I now have to put that on my list of things to ask. Yeah. To, oh, that's so funny. One lady, she woke up her foot had been rolled up real tightly, tucked in on each end, and put over her neck. So she's like trying to get up. She's like, I can't get up. I can't get up. And she finally squeezed her arms out. And she's like, what the heck? <laughs> and I think, I think they're doing this to let you know that you've been contacted. I think uh-huh. it's a, a Makes calling sense. card. Sense. Yeah, it could be. And there is that there element of nurturing to it, too. I mean, as you mentioned, that <laughs> element of nurturing Basically shows up every once in a while. Yeah, to be swaddled like that, because that's what it is. It's basically swaddling them. So that's so yeah, interesting. They'll, they'll put you in bed the opposite way. Your head is oh, yeah. in the bed. <laughs> they'll put your pajamas on backwards or something. That's always fun. So, yeah. That's cute. But all these, all these people that you interviewed, what a, yeah, how wonderful for you to have met them and given them an opportunity to share their story and, and discover more about it, too. It's tremendous service that you're providing, Preston, really. It's great. I sure hope so. And now that I've interviewed so many people, I get calls from them regularly. Like, oh, this happened, or, oh, my gosh, I've got a question. And I get a lot of referrals that way as well. So now, if somebody yeah, would like to... 
if somebody would like to speak with you, let's say they've had an experience and they would like to share it with you, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, well, if you have a computer, I'm super easy to find on social media. I do have a website. Just punch in my name. It'll take you there. The actual address is PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. But I'm on Facebook. You can contact me through Messenger and stuff or Twitter and Instagram. And my books are, of course, on Amazon. I have a YouTube channel for those who don't have the time or inclination to read because, you know, I'm not in this for the money. As anyone will tell you who's in this field, there's not a whole lot of money in it. No. Uh, I'm in it because it was such a shock, Patricia and PK, for me to find out this was real. I mean, it bowled me over. It was bad news for me. I mean, I was out of my mind. I felt scandalized. Like, why aren't they teaching this in school? What? Is right. a cover-up? My tax dollars are being spent mm-hmm. to make people look like idiots? Ooh, I was mad. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I am definitely all in on this. And, yeah, if anyone wants to contact me, whether they've got a question or a story to share or, you know, comment, yeah, feel free. This is an important subject, so I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Well, Preston, we just yeah, have so enjoyed this. Oh, yeah. Yep, and this yep. has been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this has been a wonderful evening, well spent with you. We'd love to have you back also. So uh, we're going to be talking to you about scheduling you again. I mean, you have so much to offer with all of your experiences and knowledge, and, and it's just great to have you on the show. So we'd love to have you come back. Oh, that would be awesome because we didn't even get to touch, you know, USOs or schoolyard encounters. Or... I know. We've got to go there because <laughs> we haven't had anybody <laughs> talk about that. So definitely I'll uh, I'll schedule something in the near future. And everybody, the book that we've been talking about tonight is Humanoids and High Strangeness, and it's been written by Preston Dennett. It is a very, very good book. It is extremely well-written once you start reading it, you won't definitely. want to put it down. So definitely get a copy. It's going to be worth your time and effort. Is it on audiobook yet? Not yet, but it's being worked on. Not... Okay, good. All right. Well, Preston, thank you again, and we'll be in touch. And until next week, everybody, you stay safe, and we'll have another great show for you next week. Until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.